Father God, thank you for allowing us to be here on Good Friday, where we celebrate the crucifixion of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do celebrate it because uh, it meant so much, number one, for your glory, and number two, for our salvation. So tonight I pray that we'd remember the agony that you went through that was uh, due for us, the pain and the torture and the death, the despair, the torment that you endured, you endured for us so that we could have life now and forevermore in your glory and for your glory forgiven and saved and rescued from our sin and we could be a testimony to the world that God saves sinners of which we are the worst. Thank you for giving us this uh, truth in your word. Pray that as we uh, celebrate this weekend your death, burial, and resurrection, it would uh, remind us anew of what you've done for us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be in a section that Mark read earlier of John chapter 19, verses, uh, approximately verses 28 through 30. And uh, before I get there, if you were back 2,000 or so years ago, you would have uh, experienced, if you were with Jesus, his betrayal on Thursday night. And many churches in their tradition celebrate Maundy Thursday. And I used to think it was uh, celebrating or remembering the betrayal of Jesus, but it's actually a commemoration of the Last Supper or the Passover uh, meal that Jesus shared with his disciples. And in that meal, you remember that he said there's a new covenant and it is in his blood. And he, of course, was looking forward to the very next day when he would be crucified. And in the commemoration of that Last Supper, the Jewish celebration of the Passover was changed. Jesus became the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies. He proved himself to be the Messiah. And he was the fulfillment of the Passover and of the Exodus, which the Passover commemorates. You remember the Passover story in the book of Exodus, the Israelites Um, are wanting to be freed from the slavery of the Egyptians and the last plague that God sends to the Egyptians to convince Pharaoh and his leadership to let the Israelites go is the Passover. A lamb was killed. The blood from that lamb was covered on the doorposts of the house of the Israelites and the angel of death passed over those houses and did not kill the firstborn as the angel did in the houses of those that did not have the blood covering the house. And then, of course, the Exodus, where the Israelites were freed from slavery. Jesus saves us from slavery to sin and death, and we are given new life in the promised land of his grace and his kingdom. Later that night, Thursday night, Jesus, of course, was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane late into the night, He was betrayed by Judas, and because of that, he was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was taken to a kangaroo court of Jewish religious leaders, and the charge they brought against him, which was not a charge that the Romans would recognize, was the charge of blasphemy, claiming that he was the Messiah, that he was in fact God. And of course, that charge was proved wrong by Jesus because he lived a perfect life. 
He performed miracles showing that he had supernatural power to overcome the limitations of this earth and the normal human experience. And of course, he fulfilled every prophecy that was given in the Old Testament of who the Messiah would be. In order for the Jewish religious leaders to convict Jesus of a crime worthy of death, they trumped up a charge of sedition of the Roman Empire, and they used that particular charge to get the death sentence from Pilate uh, on Jesus Christ. They basically conspired with their mortal enemy who had enslaved them, who was tyrannically ruling over them. They conspired with that enemy to kill the Messiah. Jesus was delivered to Pilate. Pilate says that he found no fault in this man, but he said, I will release to you one of two prisoners, either Barabbas or Jesus. And of course, the crowd at that time yelled, Barabbas. Give us Barabbas, a known thief, terrorist, murderer, criminal. And instead of taking Jesus and relieving him of his already trumped up charges in the kangaroo court that he was convicted in, they yelled for Barabbas, the same people who were yelling Hosanna to the King of Kings just the Sunday before. After Barabbas was released, the crowd yelled, what should we do with Jesus? They yelled, crucify him, crucify him. And so Jesus was given over to be crucified. And Pilate, following his father Adam, and abdicating his responsibilities and shifting blame and making excuses, washed his hands ceremoniously in front of the crowd, claiming that he had no part in the crucifixion of Jesus in his death, and he was washing his hands of what he perceived to be probably a crime, an illegal murder and death of a man who was innocent. Jesus, of course, was flogged and tortured and then crucified, and it was agonizing. It wasn't only physically agonizing, it was spiritually agonizing. You remember that he asked God, why have you forsaken me, his own heavenly father, the father, uh, excuse me, the, the father of the Trinitarian God. God the Father had forsaken Jesus, but he knew that it was because of our sin we were the ones who crucified Jesus. We were the ones who yelled that he should be crucified. We were the ones that wanted him to be given over to be tortured and whipped and to bleed and to die. But even though Jesus felt the forsaking of God, he knew that God was glorified in the unjust murder of his son. God's ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he was glorified in the crucifixion of his son because God's plan of redemption was accomplished through the death of Jesus Christ, his son. The crucifixion is completely necessary. Something had to be accomplished on the cross and it was through the death of Jesus Christ that it was accomplished. In John uh, chapter 19, 
it talks about that after Jesus, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Jesus thirsted in verse 28, and I love the phrase at the beginning, it says, knowing that all was finished. We'll talk more about that later, but Jesus said, I thirst. This was the last prophecy that was fulfilled before Jesus was crucified on the cross. It's a prophecy given to us in Psalm 69, verse 21. If you'd like to read the entire Psalm uh, 69, it is a messianic psalm, and it has many prophecies about Jesus Christ and the Messiah. But in Psalm 69, verse uh, verse 21, it says that Jesus would be given sour wine to drink. This was the last prophecy fulfilled by Jesus before he died. A few years back, uh, I had never heard this. I grew up in the church. I've been to probably every service that a church can think up. (laughs) Wednesday night, Good Friday, Maundy Thursday, Easter Sunday. I've been to all of them. And a few years ago, I was listening to a Good Friday service of another pastor. And he spoke about that historians tell us that when Jesus drank the sour wine to fulfill the prophecy given in Psalm chapter 69 verse 21, they used a sponge and they dipped it in sour wine and they gave that to Jesus to drink. And many of us look at that and think, that might be a sign of compassion of the Roman guard that they were actually trying to be somewhat kind and maybe they just happened to have some sour wine there and a sponge and they dunked it and they gave it to Jesus to drink and in fact it is not a sign of compassion. It is the last sign of total humiliation and disregard for God before Jesus died. Let me tell you why. Historians believe that the sponge that was used uh, to give Jesus wine was the same sponge that was used to clean oneself after using the restroom. They would clean themselves with the sponge and they would dunk it in sour wine to try and disinfect uh, the bacteria that would come from going to the restroom and using it to clean yourself. That's what they gave your Lord and Savior to drink before he died. It's interesting that this is the last messianic prophecy fulfilled prior to Jesus' death. In Psalm 69, if you read it, the entire psalm is all about the despair of life and sin without Jesus Christ. I defy you to tell me any other way to live this life with a sense of joy and purpose and truth and beauty and goodness apart from the cross of Jesus Christ. Psalm 69 in its description of despair of life and uh, in sin without Jesus, talks about the never-ending despair and torment, the unrelenting attacks from enemies. Yet there is still a determination of Jesus to finish the mission, and there is a recognition of love that is a steadfast love, but there is also a pronouncement of punishment for the enemies of God, and then a song of praise for those who the Lord hears and saves And then a pronouncement of the kingdom that will reign in Jesus' name forever. The last prophecy fulfilled points us 
to the words of Jesus in uh, chapter 19, verse 30 of the, uh, John that tells us it is finished. I'm going to focus on those three words for the next few minutes. The word it is finished is tetelestai in the Greek, in the original writing of the language. It literally means finished. It's the same word that Paul uses in the letter to Timothy where he says he has finished the race. Jesus, on his death on the cross, finished the mission that Jesus had assigned to him, that God had assigned to him, I should say, for him to die on the cross. It is a complete necessary thing. A lot of people would say that the death on the cross isn't important. What's important is following the example of Jesus. That is a false teaching. The cross is the finished work of Christ. So what it is that, or what is it that is finished in the death of Jesus on the cross? What is the it referring to? It refers to several things. I won't get into all of them, but I will just uh, talk about uh, three of them, maybe four if I have time. But here's three. What is finished is all the prophecies of the Old Testament about who the Messiah is. There is no other Messiah than Jesus Christ. There is no other Savior than Jesus Christ. I get uh, lots of emails as being a pastor. I get, especially in the the neighborhood that we live, I get a lot of emails from quote-unquote interfaith uh, organizations that want to talk about how we can share with each other in our practices and ministry to the city. And I usually look at those emails and I think we can't share in ministry because you don't share in the belief that the cross and Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only way to the Father. It is exclusive. It is something that is necessary for a person to believe in to have access and relationship with the Father, and that person is the Messiah, and God told us who it would be in the Old Testament, and Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies about who the Messiah would be. What's interesting is, the Jewish people knew. They had seen Jesus be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, teach perfect teachings, do miracles, and now they were watching him be ushered into the city on the back of a donkey and be crucified as was prophesied in the Old Testament. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah, yet they could not believe. It's very reminiscent of what we've talked about on Sundays in the book of Romans, that our hearts without Christ's intervention are hardened. They are deceitful. We do not want to bow to another king. So even though the prophecies that included the death of the Messiah for the glory of God and for the sake of God's people were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, they did not believe. But Jesus finished fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies and he proved he was the Messiah. Second thing that was finished. The ceremonial law. 
If you remember reading the Old Testament, you knew that the Jewish people, in order to maintain a sense of relationship with God, had to go through many ceremonies. If they sinned, for instance, they would have to sacrifice an animal. They would have to attend the temple for different offerings and festivals and and different ceremonies that they would do to try and maintain the relationship with God. And of course, God had commanded that they do these things. But in Jesus Christ... The ceremonial law is finished. What does that mean for you? This is what it means. There is no self-righteous behavior that will get you closer to God. There is no ceremony, tradition, or religious uh, practice that will get you closer to God. God did away with the ceremonial law. He did away with our attempts at self-righteousness. No longer is there a need to try and satisfy God through ceremonial obedience. You remember that when Jesus was finally dead, when he said it is finished, the temple curtain tore in two. Now, some of you might read that and think, well, what, big deal. Well, what it means is there is no barrier between us and God. Through Jesus Christ, we can have access to the Father. There's no self-righteous behaviors that we can attempt to, to abide by that will bring us closer to God. Access to the Father is accomplished only through the grace of the Son, Jesus Christ, who justified us, who sanctifies us, And will glorify us by the power of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. The greatest thing that was finished on the cross was sin. Sin is a form, if ceremonial law is a form of self-righteousness, then sin is a form of self-love. We love ourselves. We love ourselves to the point that we are willing to do uh, and become slaves to anything that feels good. And in Jesus Christ's death on the cross, slavery to sin is done for those who are in Christ. The power of sin, of Satan and death is destroyed for those who are in Christ. Jesus says that we will live as a new creation and we will live eternally as a glorified creation. The power of sin and Satan and death is finished. The work of redemption is also complete. Now this is an interesting one because I don't know know if we feel like I need to be redeemed or if we understand the depth of what redemption means, but redemption is heading in one direction and being changed in a totally different direction all by the grace and power of Jesus Christ saving us. And the direction that we are headed in our sin is God's wrath. If you don't And haven't, if you don't read the Pilgrim's Progress on a regular basis, I'd recommend that you do that, maybe even once a year. Um, Or read it for maybe for the first time. It's a story of Christian, of course, and he talks about his desire to be saved so he doesn't experience the wrath of God. We don't talk about it. We don't think about it. On Good Friday we should because the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus Christ on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to experience it. And redemption 
is the full satisfaction of God's wrath. And because of that satisfaction of his wrath, we are brought into relationship with God without any kind of uh, intermediary other than Jesus Christ. And true shalom or peace is given through Christ to us with God the Father because of Jesus' grace. We get to experience truth, beauty, and goodness in this life and the life to come. Sanctification and glorification. And because sin is destroyed, not only do we have redemption, but of course, Jesus is restoring all things back to himself. Jesus is making things the way they ought to be, the way they were before sin entered this world, and we get to experience it now, but not yet. But not yet means that we have a great hope for eternity, and we have a great hope that God will accomplish his mission in this city, in this world, for his glory, regardless of the way circumstances unfold on a day-to-day basis. It is finished has a lot of meanings for us. We're going to practice communion tonight, and of course, The blood represented by the wine or the juice is here. And the body represented by the bread that was broken for us is here. And in the body broken and the blood shed, your sin and the power of it over your life is finished. And wouldn't it be uh, amazing if we lived in the reality and under the understanding that the power of sin and the slavery of sin over our life that we experience every day in our relationships, in our families, if we knew and understood and believed that it is finished because of Christ's death on the cross, this city would be changed. I know because on the night that Jesus was crucified... Or excuse me, when he was betrayed, Peter, of course, denied him. And Peter later on uh, in his life went into many areas of the world and planted churches and preached the gospel. And eventually he was hung upside down. And I think many times he remembers that not only uh, his denial of Christ, but God's forgiveness of that, that Jesus came to him afterwards and said, hey, I still want to have a relationship with you. You're forgiven And it is finished. The sin of your denial of me is nailed to the cross. It is overcome. It is killed. It is completely destroyed in your life. There is no power of it anymore over you. I think Peter lived in that reality. I think all of his disciples lived in the reality that their sin was finished. The power of it over their life had been conquered. That through Christ's death, On the cross, the blood and the body broken, what was accomplished was extraordinary. It is the only hope that we have. It is the only way to the Father. So when you come to the communion table, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember that your sin has been dealt with on the cross. Go out of here with the joy 
with the grace, with the mercy that Jesus has poured over you to satisfy the wrath of God and to give you shalom, to give you true peace with God. Let's pray. Father, it is a sacred night. And I say it many times to myself and to our church. Every day is Good Friday, and every day is Easter. The gospel is all we have. The good news of what you accomplished on the cross is all that we have. I pray, God, that as we come to the table today, that we would remember that our new life in Christ is servanthood to Christ. It's bending a knee to you and your authority. And whatever sin that has easily entangled us, maybe even tonight, I pray we would confess it to you. We would receive your grace and mercy. We would believe that Jesus finished the work on the cross and that we, we enjoy would run to you, that we would have our peace, our shalom in you. We would experience it now and forevermore. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.